All right. Hello. Hi, and welcome everybody to another Katasi. Uh, I have a feedback. I don't know why. We'll figure it I'm out. I'm not hearing it. Hi, and welcome everybody to another Katasi healing talk. And my name is Helmut, and I am here with my amazing, beautiful friend, Laura, and my wonderful and amazing, beautiful wife, Kay, Kay Cadell Whitaker. Hi, Laura. Hi, Kay. Hey, Helmut. And uh, today we are going to talk about uh, Paradise Garden Experiment. I have often talked with Kay about in the past about that this planet was originally intended to be that kind of experiment, a paradise garden experiment. And the Egyptian, pre-dynastic Egyptian tradition talks about it, the Katase tradition talks about it, and the spirits talk a lot about it. And recently Kay and I went to town and one of the beauty of living with Kay is that things like this happen. On that trip, she just went on a journey. She went off, off into the nonlinear. And when she came back, she told me where she went. And it was into the future where this kind of experiment actually has become reality, the results of, of the, the world has turned into a paradise garden. And so today we're going to talk with her what, about what the, the traditions, the Egyptians, the Katasa people said about this, the spirits are saying about this, and what her experience was on that journey and what she has found there and what that looks like. And I think that's it. I think I covered everything. Um, Kay, take it away. All right. What? Did you mute your picture? Yeah. Huh, okay. I don't really know how, but it did. <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. And it is really, really, really nice to be able to be here and and talk to you all and tell you these these ancient stories and and my experiences with them. I think I'll start with way back. Um, I was at my vision quest site in the Oregon desert and I can't remember exactly which visit this was. I don't know if Helmut was with me or if I did this before we got married, but I was on the mountain uh, doing my vision quest and talking to the mountain, talking to the maker spirits of the mountain and been hearing, you know, in, in the gossip of the day, more and more about aliens and really wondering, uh, you know, what, what that all was and um, were there really aliens coming to the planet? You know, this is 
this is way back. This is at least um, you know, 25 years ago, maybe a bit more. So we just didn't have a whole lot of information and uh, things were awfully sketchy and there's lots of disinformation from the government, which made things, you know, really strange. Didn't know what to believe. So I was asking the mountain spirit, the maker of that mountain, uh, to tell me the truth. What was the truth about these aliens? Because it seemed to me uh, they really, it's a big universe, you know, there really should be uh, other kinds of folks out there, other kinds of life. That just seemed the most logical thing. So I asked, and very matter-of-factly, uh, you know, I use the, the, the pronoun he, not because these spirits have a, a sex, they don't, but they usually have a personality and energy that is similar to what we identify as female or male. And this particular spirit seemed very male. So I'll refer to him as he. And he's, he said, oh, you know, oh, yeah, of course, of course. And I said, they come here? He said, well, yeah, yeah, of course. And I said, well, for how long? How, how long have they been coming around? And he said, billions of years. And I, you know, it kind of startled me. I'd never, ever thought of anything like that. I thought, well, maybe it's 50 years, maybe 100 years. And I, so I, I, just, I was stunned. And so I, I asked for clarification. Millions of years or b billions of years? Because oh, billions of years, of course. The, the races have been around for the beginning of the universe. Billions upon billions of years. And they've been coming here since they were able to, since this was some place to come to. And there was a, one ancient race in particular and a, and a group that they, they worked with, this small group of, of different alien species that came before this planet had um, had any kind of atmosphere. Uh, there was water, but uh, everything was really in a very chaotic state, weren't in the same orbit that we're in now. And they liked the position of the planet. It suited, um, suited what they wanted. They wanted to terraform it and start a garden a very, very special garden, a garden experiment. So they, they started way back then. They literally moved the planet into a more favorable orbit. They gave it um, a favorable um, tilt on its axis. Uh, 
favorable for their needs. That would provide seasons uh, on the planet. They um, did things to help build the atmosphere, to uh, build water, to create moving water and um, water and atmospheric uh, uh, dynamics. So you have clouds and rain and the water can replenish itself in, in the land. And all the different kinds of things you could ever imagine that would be needed uh, to happen to make this uh, a viable planet, stable, uh, an orbit that um, doesn't get too hot, too cold. Same with the, the tilting of the axis. Uh, axis. And um, they started bringing life. Microbes, plants, animals. They started terraforming from the very beginning to make this a place that is suitable for as many different species of microbes, plants, and animals as possible. And they brought species from uh, many different planets all over the galaxy, possibly other galaxies. And at a point, they, they even began to genetically engineer some to change them to be able to survive in certain kinds of uh, conditions, climates and stuff, and added those in. And they just watched. They just watched. They didn't want to interfere. Their experiment had to do with being able to see life from all kinds of different stages and, and mixtures, all different kinds of, of climates and conditions, and to see what it would do, where it would go, how they would mix, what kind of ecology, what kind of, of harmony can they develop? How long does that take? So many things that they wanted to see. Uh, they couldn't do this on their home planet, uh, any of their home planets, because that had been inhabited by, by them, sentient species, for so very, very long. There, there's no, no great big wild open spaces where life could just go free. And they wanted to start it from the beginning. So they kind of led this, this terraforming on the fast track to get things started uh, as fast as possible and getting all kinds of species put in, in place and getting the, the whole project, the dynamics rolling. And a big component of the dynamics that they were trying to build 
had to do with continuance. They wanted a planet where so many different species could continue. Continuance and continuance and continuance. Even though all these little differences happened, the weather's change, volcanoes go off, there's catastrophes in, in little minor areas, uh, you know, contained around the planet, and it changes that, that, that district. Uh, and to watch, to see see what happens, see how things survive and what, what survival, what continuance really is. What does it mean? How does it happen? How does one help it? And in order to continue, do things have to change? Can they stay the same? with the adaptations, what kind of adaptations are there? What, what gets created? What does nature come up with? And they, they watched. Sometimes they would interfere and help a little bit if something was getting too out of hand. They didn't want to uh, lose big pieces of their experiment so they would they would help a little bit but they don't they don't want to change any outcomes and they stayed off the surface of the planet they didn't want to interrupt anything they they built huge facilities underground on our planet and at one point they they decided they needed some more stabilization uh, and probably a whole lot of other reasons too, but uh, they needed a satellite. They wanted a satellite for our planet. And so they, they found one that was just, you know, the right size, everything, uh, a dead rock out, way out there uh, in our solar system. And so they brought it here. These people have amazing technology. They can move a planet in a new orbit. They can drag a planet to a new place, set it in a new orbit. So they did this with Earth. They did it with the moon. They got it all set up. And it was also an incredibly good watching place. Totally out of the way, they could see everything. They had uh, orbiting um, watching posts, space stations, I guess you could say. Uh, so they could see everything all over the planet. They could keep track of everything. And, and that's what they did. They watched. And a long, long period of time, from our point of view, uh, went by. And they decided uh, that maybe there were a few of them that decided they really needed some kind of sentient um, species in there to complete the picture. Because uh, you can't have everything totally accurate if, if you don't have any sentient species there too. And there were some people who were opposed to that. 
They didn't, not, oh no, you're asking for trouble. They didn't, they didn't want that. But, you know, after a few millennia, they came to an agreement and they brought some um, sentient species from other planets in the galaxy. <coughs> Not very evolved, but um, sentient, and just set them down, let them uh, become part of the ecology, part of the picture. And that didn't work out all that well. Some of them were way too fragile. They, they couldn't survive the changes uh, from their home planet, or they couldn't survive the changes like in weather, uh, food changes. They died off. Others um, overpopulated and ate everything that was edible for them in their neighborhood and started to spread out. Uh, and they they weren't paying a lot of attention to their surroundings. So they were making a mess. They were making a mess of the garden and uh, even causing some extinctions of some of these um, other little species, the plants, the animals. Um, they died off. So it was a while before they, the builders talked about having sentience again. But uh, some circumstances came up in the galaxy where there was a, a primitive race that uh, they were going to lose their planet. There's you know, really big catastrophes happening. They're going to lose their planet. That means they'd all be dead. They didn't move them. So they brought them there. But this time they decided to intervene with them in such a way that they would teach them. They would teach them uh, about how to take care of their environment, how to love and honor uh, as brothers and sisters, their, uh, everything around them, all the plants and the animals and the water and the air, and how to take care of themselves, how to grow food, uh, find appropriate food to not destroy what's around them. And that worked really well. So they were very excited about that. They watched and watched and watched. And it was, it went, it just went really, really, really well. They blended into the ecology of their whole area where they were at. Um, Something happened, maybe a volcano or something, but uh, the species died off. And they wanted to continue some of that, but they decided um, to make more insurance that uh, the sentience that they brought wouldn't go astray. Uh, they put them in an isolated area on the planet so that they couldn't spread out. What they would do would only um, happen to that isolated area, an island, big island of some kind. And 
and that worked that worked very nicely eventually there was um another species or it was a group of species from really far away probably another galaxy that really didn't like what these people these builders were doing the concept they didn't think that they had the right to terraform a whole planet to bring species from all these other places and do genetic engineering of species to add into it uh they thought that that was like an abomination of some kind and they wanted they demanded that these people stop and eliminate all the life on the planet and let let happen to the planet what would have happened to the planet otherwise so there was a that was a bad struggle between these two different ideologies these two different groups for a very long time they finally went to war and the surface was bombed in a number of areas and the um their facilities um underground the bombs uh were big and bad enough to destroy the facilities underground they bombed the facilities on the moon so there was a lot of destruction and a lot of changes on the planet but uh the original builders won the others left and never came back and they decided they they wanted to do what they could to repair the planet to keep the experiment going to not interfere and that's what they did and what happened amazed them uh the bombs had created huge deserts just super uh the sand and rock everything gone all life gone in the area but after a few centuries millennia or two the life spread into the desert and and it's changed and adapted and it it began to thrive in the deserts they weren't expecting that so this experiment has has been one of uh you know great wonders and great surprise and uh, incredible beauty and incredible life and aliveness and variety they had more varieties of species of, of plants microbes animals of of any place in the galaxy they just they had brought so much they engineered so much they kept bringing more and it all evolved in their own way and just kept spreading so that every inch of the planet uh no matter how in, inhabitable uninhabitable it it was just full 
full of things that were alive. Life was abundant and, and con- there was continuance, just flowing, overflowing continuance. And things had balance the, within ecologies and the whole ecology of the planet. Everything was always finding balance and, and maintaining this harmony, this dance together. And then eventually, there was a, a few species that would come, um, and they went. With, they weren't supposed to go on the surface. That was a, a law that um, the builders had made for so very long. Don't go on the surface. Observe from above. You're all welcome. Don't go on the surface. Don't interrupt. Well, this new gang that came. Uh, didn't care about somebody else's laws and rules. There were things on the planet that they wanted. And so they just took it. They, they landed, they made cities, they made mines, big, uh, you know, digging, um, bombing um, spaces to crack open layers in the crust to get to minerals. Um, and then um, they needed uh, labor, so they decided they would make slave labor, and they made a sentient species, our predecessors, Homo sapiens predecessors, to uh, be the slave workers of of these invading people, and there was uh, a lot of struggle and warfare between the builders and these invading species. And the invaders, um, they were very violent. They, they were greedy, very greedy. They had an entirely different viewpoint on life. They, they were very arrogant. They... They felt incredibly entitled. They had no ethical problem whatsoever genetically creating slaves and keeping um, entire populations of these slaves uh, uh, just working for them, doing doing their bidding, um, killing them if they didn't do what they wanted, torturing. Uh, they, they, just, they were not nice people. And they taught that to us, their slave race. They taught, they taught all this way of thinking and being and living. So, with all this warfare, there was more destruction on the land. There was a whole lot more interruption of so many of the different ecological areas all over the planet because of these invaders and those wars. The builders almost gave up at that point, gave up their experiment. 
but they didn't. They decided to, to help where they could without in, interfering, but to let, let things work themselves out however they would work out, to, to let the nature take its toll. And after millennia, life, of course, spread again into the, the new destroyed areas, new deserts that were made, and other generally uninhabitable kind of areas. Uh, life moved in. And us, the humans, um, we survived. We survived a number of different catastrophes. We kept continuing. We, we kept uh, um, coming back until um, our old programming, our original programming, started to really get the better of us. And we became very much like those intruders with our greed, with our not paying attention to the environment, to nature, to wanting to progress, wanting to become like these gods, the gods that made us, the gods that would come and visit, that had all this wild technology and this super advanced way of living and uh, super knowledge and uh, all these things that they could do, this magic, we wanted it. And we came to the same place that they were at. We, we wanted it at any cost. So that brings us to the present. We wanted it at any cost. And we've been destroying the garden from one end of this planet to the other. And all the waters of the garden, even into the depths of the waters. We've tried to change things not for the better and not for the good of all the species but in order to provide us with something we wanted at the moment no regard for for anything else and with a short-sightedness that if we kept doing this we would ruin our environment enough that that would kill us. In other words, we would kill ourselves. We'd kill ourselves off. And we just haven't paid attention. We see around us a little bit more, uh, more and more here and there, another person, another group of people really noticing, really caring, really wanting to do something to really make some honest to God changes for the better, to learn 
for ourselves to learn how to be better people who would honor continuance above anything else. Continuance of life for all, equality for life for all, all plants, all the microbes, all, all the animals, all the different kinds of humans that we have here. And that's where we're at. We need to, we need to wake up. We need to go back to what we originally were in the garden. We were sentience that were brought here, some engineered uh, to be here. And before the intruders came, we had been taught how to honor the garden, how to honor life, how to honor each other, how to live with each other, fellow humans, how to live with everything else in balance, equality, harmony, to look and see the beauty of everything, the incredible diversity and beauty that has been on this planet. This magnificent garden planet. And yeah, it was an experiment. But it's all about, originally, about the beauty and the magnificence, the diversity of life, for these builders life itself the all of creation in the universe the intelligence the consciousness that made all of this universe was in love with diversity in love with diversity and exploration and experiencing of this diversity, experiencing this exploration, and the more the better. Honoring it all. Honoring it all. Honoring the creativity that we have as a human species. Because we are as everything in the universe, we are a unique individual piece of creator that gives us the ability to create. We can create. We can explore all of this, these possibilities. The universe is just living living on a bubbling dynamic sea of possibilities endless possibilities we can tap into that and we can create these things and experience them and explore them and and that's what the universe is all about that's what the universe loves the most and wants the most and that's what the builders were all about Loving and honoring everything.
and this this planet that they terraformed that we've inherited is so so magnificent there's so much beauty here there's so much love here And all we have to do is turn our attention to it, to notice it, to perceive it, to feel it, to experience it, to let our whole being, our whole physical body experience it, our senses experience it, our heart, our beingness, to experience what is here, It's unique. And Anna just moaned and groaned and kind of sang and and said, yes, yes, yes. So that's, that's what our garden is. That's our planet. It is, look out the window here, and it's, it's just, wow. One thing that happened that this, the original builders did not conceive of before they were started working and building and collecting all this stuff here was <clears throat> the amount of aliveness, the amount of consciousness, the amount of spirit entities that uh, did not have physical bodies at the time that came here. They saw what was happening here and they chose to come here to this planet or earth and be part of it. To live here amongst all this this incredibleness. And that's unique. The field. The, f- the field that is, it's, it's in the air, it's in the space, it's in us, it's in everything else. It's between everything else. We've, often called it the the field of consciousness, the field of awareness, the field of aliveness that is here on our planet and throughout the universe. It is particularly active and, well, we don't have quite the right English words because our English words are designed to describe 3D time space all the time only but metaphorically speaking this this field of aliveness that is all around us and through us connects us is is denser because there's more here there's so much life here there's so much aliveness here so many spirits and so many alive microbes and plants and the animals and all us people. We've got a lot of people now. 
seven and a half plus billion. That's that's a lot of people. We we add to the field. Everything adds to the field. So as we're interacting with the field, we we're touching. We're touching and mingling with everything, with the spirits, with all the incarnated life forms. Life touching life. And the field is so thick with this, so alive, and there's it's moving, it's dancing, and it's there's so much energy and so much love in this field. That's what was brought to this planet in the beginning. These builders were just so really, really, really full of love and adoring life. And these ancient, ancient species would bring life to other planets to share life. They would save life from extinction on one planet and take it to another so it would survive. And people, sentience, they've been doing it for billions of years. They've been terraforming planets for billions of years for all kinds of different reasons and all kinds of different ways. This one was unique with the the garden concept, a laboratory, an experiment, a garden, a zoo that took the whole planet, not just a little spot on the planet, the whole planet so that it could just be totally free and totally alive and totally be everything that it could be. All species, all mixtures, all ecologies, all over the planet, everything that they could be, all the possibilities. And that makes the field here on the planet really special. And all we have to do is to turn our perception to notice it. We have to stop all of the old way of thinking, the old babble, babble, words, words, babble, 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 everything linear, everything about go, 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 go. And all the junk that we learned from those invaders all that negative thinking, all the greed and, and the entitlement uh, and the hierarchy, better than, less than. We, we need to dump it. We need to throw it away for good because it isn't how we started. The, the way the invader races made us is they took 
the sentient beings that were here already. They took the primates that were here and developing that knew and lived this equality and the love and continuance for all. And they altered us. They genetically altered us. They taught us all of their bad thinking, their negative thinking. My teachers would say the, the upside down and backwards thinking that has infected our planet for so long. They infected us. But now, once that we know this, once that we can see the difference, and we know that there's other ways to live, other ways to be and think and feel and experience, that there is enough for all on this planet. There always has been. We can, we can shed the junk. When we do that, that's what my teachers call waking up. We need to do that. We need to wake up again. We need to take back all this beauty and all this love and this life and own it again and allow our planet to, to flourish in this love, in this life. Removing everything that hinders this. Remove all, all the garbage and the poisons that we made that are hindering this. And all the bad thoughts, the bad thought forms that we make that crowd our space and keep making us think all these bad, rotten things. We need to clean all of that stuff off our planet and take it back. To own our planet. To own who and what we really are. Own our, the song. The songs that we are. The purity that we are. To be it. so much more fun than, than all the garbage. And you look around at the people who are asleep, who are living in that indoctrination. They're so unhappy. They're, they're desperately, desperately unhappy. They know that they're poisoned from the inside out. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Physically, they don't know what to do about it. They don't know how to stop it. But the way to stop it is to stop creating it with our mind first. Stop thinking it. Stop engaging the thought forms about it that are on the planet. And turn our attention back to this Awakeness, this, this observing and experiencing all this life and the beauty and the, this is passion for living, passion for, for creating new things, 
new, new whatever, all these potentials to learn how to live and dance with all life forms so that there is continuance for everything and everybody and beauty and interaction. The giving, the giving, the sharing between all things. And we experience that when we tune into this field, when we tune into how alive everything else is. How beautiful it is, how much love there is there. And we can live that way. 24 hours a day, we can live that way. All we have to do is choose it. So that's, that's the garden. Wow. Thank you. Anything you want to add from your, um, from your journey into that future where it is a reality? Oh, yes. You were muted. Go ahead. Okay. I said, oh, yes. <laughs> that part. Well, we're talking about uh, just now how depressed everybody is and how, how miserable they are and tortured because they're living in this indoctrination. They're, they're destroying everything around them, including themselves. And, and even, even their own children and their love mates. And, and yeah, of course, of course they're tortured and they're depressed and they're horrified. And we wonder, a lot of people wonder, even those waking up and they look around at so many people still so asleep and so tortured and the planet is still tortured and there's still these huge garbage piles everywhere. We wonder, are we going to be able to pull out of this? Are we going to be able to do it and make it? Are we ever going to change enough so that the human species and the planet survive what we've been doing, what we've done. And my answer is yes. The answer of the Hedekas, oh yes. My Egyptian teacher, oh yes. The messages from the ancients, definitely, oh yes. We're going to survive it. And we are going to be awake. We're going to be living in this awakeness, in an awake culture on the whole planet. What I experienced when Helmut and I were driving, he was, he's in the driver's seat. That gives me time to zone out, <laughs> talk to the spirits and things like that. And, and this one day, um, it's funny, different things will, will trigger um, moving into the spirit realms. Uh,
we were passing by this one building, kind of a big church. And apparently this is a building that survives into the future because I saw it in the future. This is what we, we call in the Hedekas teachings in Katasi, uh, looking at time layers. I didn't look for this purposefully. I wasn't looking purposefully for time layers. Sometimes they just spontaneously are there and I'm seeing the past or the future. This time I was seeing the future and this building was still there. It's a little bit different, things around it different. The land, the road was different because there was, it wasn't a road. <laughs> it was, there was no pavement. There was no pavement anywhere. A lot of the other buildings were gone. There was something different going on. And um, I found myself um, by one of these buildings. I think we were sitting outside. And we were talking about the past. We were talking about the dark ages, which is now. <laughs> all this this time that we're having war all the time, bombing everything, we're destroying everything. We're making poisons, all kinds of poisons that are just everywhere all over the planet, poisoning everything. And there's the garbage piles the size of Texas floating in, in the oceans. And so we're in the future where things are very different. All that's gone. All that poison is gone. The technology that we use today that is so destructive it's all gone. We have a, a different, different types of technology that are not destructive. So no need for roads, no need for automobiles on the road. So there's no pavement on the ground. The ground is, is let back to, um, to growing things. There are, there are pathways, but there's, um, no pavement, which is just looking, looking at that time layer, looking around, and there's no telephone poles and there's no pavement, and there's such peace and quiet with that. The, the, the technology is very, very different. We don't have all this energetic noise from the electromagnetic devices uh, and technologies that we have and the radio waves and everything, none of it was there. And we're sitting outside in, the, in a little circle in the sun and we're talking about the bad times, the dark times, which is right now. And talking about how how that was really necessary 
that that is part of what we have planned as a total human species. Because the way we are seeing reality in that future picture is that as spirits, we all picked coming here at different times to experience different things. We came here purposefully to experience the the backwards turning wheel life, the asleep way of life with all the depression, with all the horrors, with the wars, poisons, everything. We chose it because we needed to experience it. We needed to learn about it. We had the only way to really, really learn is to experience it. So when we're outside of time and space, we choose what kind of life we're going to have next, where we're going to go in the universe. Uh, if we're going to come back to earth, if we're going to come back as a human, uh, what do we, where do we want to go? Because when we're outside of time and space, time's not restrictive. We can choose any century, any millennia, any continent, any culture. And we do. So there are an awful lot of us that have been wanting to experience this, this big culmination of this exploding backwards turning wheel life. And we did, we came here to experience it and it, it was needed. We needed to know, we needed to understand what that was all about. What does what is this poison all about? What is the garbage all about? What are the wars all about? What is, what's the addiction all about? What are, all these things, this learning about hatred, living living it, living hatred and suspicion, and all that brings with it. We had to, we wanted to, we chose to experience it, to be here to experience it. And from their point of view in the future, while they're awake, and they've been part of a culture being able to build the planet back to a garden, still building, there's still a lot left to, to fix. But that's an ongoing, ever, ever ongoing thing if you let it be. Like, like we've heard from the story of the, the, the original progenitor builders. Billions of years they've been here. Building and building and rebuilding and watching and feeling and experiencing and being amazed and learning. So as we are in our future, we're looking back on our past and we're perceiving what has been happening 
what we're living right now. We're in the future. We're perceiving it with totally new eyes, totally new perspective, understanding the depths of these dark ages and what they have provided us with the knowledge and the understanding that they have provided us with the ability to live in new and different ways on this planet, on other planets. This is a knowledge we have learned through these dark ages that is really vast And we have carried it throughout our galaxy and throughout the universe. We've shared this knowledge throughout the universe to benefit the universe. And we are ones who have chose, we've chosen to to be here to live it, to experience it so that it becomes part of the total human consciousness. When it becomes part of the total human consciousness, it can also there then be shared with every other, every other piece of life, every other song, all the other sentience. And it changes. It changes everything. It changes everybody. All this knowledge goes to to beings that don't have to live in these dark ages to experience it in order to learn it. They already have the knowledge of it from us. They have the experience of it, not the knowledge of it, because we, we lived it. Now we send that knowledge out to share for them to use for their benefit and their health and their well-being. So here in the future, we're talking around this circle about not judging the past, not judging the dark ages. We're coming from a place in the future where they're not, they're not judging They don't live in the middle of hierarchical thought. They're not living in a world where they have to find blame. So without any judgment feelings or thoughts, we're looking back on the past at what a gift it is. What a gift, incredible gift. The knowledge that we are gaining, have gained and are still gaining from these dark ages are giving us the ability, a new way of thinking and being, uh, an impetus, a, a huge desire to bring back continuance, to maintain continuance for all species on this planet. 
And without the dark ages, we we wouldn't ha- quite have the same reverence for continuance or for all these different species or for life itself, for aliveness, the experience of aliveness. These dark ages give us a a balance place. We're experiencing the yin and the yang, the the edges going way out to the edges of how much dark can there be? How much light can there be? We really learn this. It's not an intellectual idea. We learn it. We understand it inside and out with the core of our being. Because we lived through this. That's the gift that it's giving us. And that allows us to be able to build that world that the ancients have seen coming for a long time and have talked about for tens of thousands of years. It's a a new golden age coming. And we're starting to build it right now, right now here. All things that we build and create in this universe start with a thought. Creation starts with a thought, an idea, a picture. And then that pulls all of the elements together into the thought, into the thought form, into the picture, and allows it to be built in 3D three-dimensional matter in time's space. Always starts with a thought. So that's why we have to clean up our thoughts. We are building the trash that we think and feel. We're building that. We have been building that in this dark age. If we stop building it with our thoughts, we stop having any thoughts and feelings about all that ugliness and ugly feelings, hate, jealousy, all of it. And just let it go. Don't go there anymore. Choose to turn our attention purposefully in the moment to beautiful things, to love to the feeling of our own song, our own aliveness, to the feelings, the presence of this field, the great field of aliveness, of awareness, of consciousness. Everything is so alive and so sharing. On our planet, especially, even now, even now, we still have so much life here. We just have to turn our attention back to it and our feelings back to it. 
and allow ourselves to perceive it and feel it with our physical body, physical senses, our emotions, our spirit, to be part of it, awake. That's awakeness, to be a part of it, awake, conscious of it, purposeful, purposefully conscious and interactive. And that's what we were talking about in that circle in the future. Looking back on the horrors of, of our current world. Horrors. Without any judgment. But a kind of perspective of what we really have been doing. And what it has brought us on many different levels a new perspective. So that was our car ride to town, to go buy some sushi. One other thought I had paid, you mentioned about emotions and the importance of our ability for deep emotions. Do you want to touch on that? Mm, good point. Yes. Because of who we are as a species, we're very, very unique. We were brought here originally from another place, many other places. A whole bunch of us, different groups, brought from different places and brought down here to live on Earth. And, of course, we mingled. As soon as we met each other, we started to mingle and uh, mingle our genetics. We just like to do that with our species. <laughs> Love to mingle. And then these other different some of the invaders that came broke their own rules and mated with us and then there were many others that came some just to visit to see you know oh my god look at this circus down here come and pay a little visit um, have a little night on the town more sex mingling some of them came longer for all kinds of different reasons more mingling. Others came who can't mingle with our species, but they mingled with genetic uh, uh, tinkering. The others came along and tinkered for their own reasons, whatever that was. And maybe it still is. So we have lots and lots of genes that come from all over our galaxy, probably other galaxies as well. And they're all mixed together in our, in our genetic strands. And one of the things that was a surprise to the builders was that these different genes, not only um, we were able to produce an offspring, but the genes um, came together. They they blended together, worked together to make a new set of genes. 
where all of the genes have some function. Some of them um, have become a little bit on the dormant side, but doesn't mean that they're dead and gone. Uh, and we have uh, we have great intellectual capacity, which we haven't even begun to touch. We have a huge emotional capacity. We have a spiritual capacity. We have spiritual gifts, like telepathy. Um, all kinds of other, you know, magical sort of stuff. Being able to teleport, being able to walk through a wall. There's a, a whole long list of them. And we, we've always heard stories from different cultures, you know, their, their tribal legends, fairy tales about people, humans, who seem to have super being, super magical powers like this. These stories go back way, 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 way back. And that's because... Uh, there were people who managed to utilize all of their genetics to wake up from their cultural um, diminishment and imprisonment and, and wake up uh, out of that and discover who they really are and what they really are and what they're capable of. And they demonstrated it to others. And so there are the stories. We all have the same capabilities. So one of these really most beautiful capabilities that we all experience is a depth of emotion. And it is more so than many other species. This is one of the gifts from one of our parental uh, alien species. We have a capacity to experience extremely deep emotions. And this is a bafflement to a number of different alien races. They all have emotion, but it's with all these different species, it's, it's like a, the different flavors and different degrees and depths and ability. Some species are not very adapt with emotions at all. And some are very adapt. And one of the things we have been learning as a human species uh, with our unique mixture of genetics is how to live with this huge depth of emotion, depth and breadth. And it, it ties into other things that we do and other things that we experience. 
and into our creativity, into our relationships. And at the, metaphorically speaking, at the bottom of this very deep well of emotion is our spiritual self and our spiritual gifts. And there are those of us humans who have figured this out one way or another, that at the extreme depths of their emotion, no matter what kind, it could be pain, sadness, incredible distress, or it could be incredible love, beauty, passion. Down there at the bottom of the, the well is this is our spiritual being and our the gifts of our spirit, uh, the gifts that are in our DNA of our spirit abilities are right there. And that is one of one of our doorways to discovering our spirit abilities and starting to wake up and be able to use them. Meanwhile, we have a capacity to emotionally experience anything we want. Not just to mentally touch things or think about them, but to emotionally experience as well as spiritually experience something. A deep, deep, deep passion. And that's one of the reasons why in our modern culture that we have had uh, a demonization of passion, demonization of strong emotional feeling of any kind for showing it. It has been a taboo to show very much, if any, emotion in the modern culture throughout the world. And when we obey that dictate, that dictate of asleepness, we keep ourselves more asleep because the deeper and the, the broader, the, the more depth of emotion we experience, we're going to touch into our spiritual self. We're going to touch into our song. We're going to experience it. We're going to feel it and experience it. I can't help but to start exploring it. And that means awakeness. You're going to start cracking the egg. Humpty Dumpty's going to fall off the wall. And you're going to notice that there's something 
more than all of that restriction and all of the pain and, and hardness of our modern world. When we can feel more emotionally, we can feel with our emotions and we start to feel with our spirit because of it, we can feel our connectedness to other. Now, once you start feeling your song, your connectedness to your song, feeling your song, feeling the love and the beauty in that, the enormousness of it, you feel the connectedness to other. And as soon as we do that, we can't believe in the dictates of the modern culture that keep us asleep. You can't believe in it anymore. You see it with very different eyes. Your perspective changes completely. And you realize what is really real in this world, the aliveness and, and the love and the beauty and the feelings and sensation and the deep emotion of yourself and everything else, all the other things that are alive and we're connected and we're interacting or sharing, communicating. That's life. That's the important part of life. Those are the important qualities of life. All the creativeness, the ability to create things that are this, from this massive potential that we have in our universe. It comes from awakeness, from our aliveness. And when we are asleep, when we're following cultural dictates, we're throwing all of that away. We're turning away from it, pretending that none of that exists. We're pretending we're totally separated, isolated, abandoned, that there's nothing but discomfort, struggle, and pain. That's a horrible way to live. That's what the asleepness is all about. And that we're moving to the awakeness and allowing yourself to feel emotions no matter what type, even when they are excruciatingly sad and full of grief, or when, when there's some other kind of hurt that is there. Really allowing yourself to feel it, to explore the feeling without judgment, to experience it with its depths. Dabano used to say that in learning to experience one's song, there are many different ways and techniques to learn how to experience one's song. But a surprising one, one that his teachers had mentioned to him, but he 
didn't really know what they were talking about until uh, he had to experience it himself. And that had to do with war. Their tribe was, uh, their village was attacked and he had to go to war. He was still pretty young. And in the middle of the horror the, and the anger that, that comes in the middle of battle, and he's doing things he never, ever wanted to do or dreamt he would have to do. And he's being, uh, you know, hit and, uh, and, and whacked, and he's hitting and charging other people and cutting, and uh, there are people dead and dying around him, and he could die, and he might have to kill somebody else. And he's very afraid for his village. He's trying to protect his family and his people and the women, the babies, and the elders and their way of life and their knowledge. And he let himself feel the depths of of the horror, the madness and the anger. And he said, at the bottom, there's light, there's song. At the bottom of that well is where we connect to spirit, to the spiritual, to the nonlinear, to our song our beingness, our truth, with all of its love and its brightness and its intensity and its aliveness. The, the experience of being alive would gush up from the depths of his emotions and, and burst up through all of this anger and horror. He, he said he never felt more alive. It was very, very, very intense. And he said it was that way for everybody. And it's that way for any other soldier who's in the middle of that battle where your own life uh, is tenuous, you're getting hurt, you're hurting others, you see death around you, and if you let your emotions feel, to feel them as strongly as they can be felt, you will feel the aliveness, you will feel the song, the aliveness of life burst up in your awareness. That was another thing that we were talking about in the future, in that circle in the sun, was that importance of emotion and the importance of the particular kind of emotion that we have, the capacity that we have in our species, which is not something that is universal. 
we've stifled it. Through the dark ages, we've learned how to stifle it because it leads to waking up. It leads to, to passion, passion of aliveness, passion of life, of love. Looking at it from the future, there's another whole view. Being in the middle of it, in the middle of war, in the middle of the horrors of our culture, we're in the middle of experiencing it. We have the opportunity, we have the chance to allow ourselves to experience the emotions as strongly as possible to experience what it leads to, what it teaches. And when we were in the future and looking back, we could see the progression through history of emotion in the human race. And what it, what it meant for us to experience, to restrict. Because that's a whole another kind of experience to withdraw and restrict yourself from feeling any emotion. It's a whole another activity. It cuts you off from everything. From yourself, your song, your connectedness to everything in the world, to your aliveness to everything nonlinear, everything spiritual. But that's what we've been taught to do. We think that we're surviving, that it is a technique of survival, but it isn't actually. It's a technique of starvation, strangling, of killing yourself. From the future, we could see that we were experiencing, we were learning the worst, the worst emotional experiences, the worst in denying ourselves and what that did, the the horror of what that did. Each one of us in in that circle in the future had lived in our current time period. And we remembered. We had lots of memories from this time period and other, um, other time periods in the past where we were living this dark age and learning different different properties of of sleepness. So in that personal reflection, we could see this extreme value of the dark ages and the extreme value of uh, 
the different types of emotional experiences that we have had through the dark ages and the denying ourselves emotion and how it looked in the future. It's hard to explain In the future, we were allowing ourselves to feel as deeply as possible, anything and everything, to emotionally feel in touch and connect to other emotionally, as well as spiritually, and share that, to share the emotional feeling with others. And This was part of the evolving telepathy in our species that was blossoming at about that time, starting to really be able to exist, to be. And what a treasure the emotion is. What an incredible gift that is and how it dances with our spiritual self, as well as the, the mental, the linear mental mind, but the emotions being allowed to feel and experience the depth of that, with it allowing yourself to feel and experience the depth of, of spiritual experience. all the time, all day long. That's part of how we experience everything in the future when we're awake. It involves so much beauty and so much love and so much aliveness and so much passion. And the creativity that comes from it all, the extreme love of art. Everything is an art. Right now in our culture, we've really forgotten art. <laughs> and we build the ugliest buildings conceivable and we surround them with ugly cement construction and we surround that with ugly roads, you know, covered with pavement. And, and none of it, there's nothing beautiful about any of it. There's not a beautiful form or line or, or anything with any of it or colors. It's just ugly, ugly, ugly. It's offensive. But in the future, the beauty of everything, no matter what it is, let it be beautiful and let it harmonize with, with the beauty of everything around it, whether it's man-made or nature-made. It's just all, all together. And being able to participate creating that is, is such a beautiful, beautiful experience. That's what we're, that's where we're headed. That's the world that we're creating. 
That's the life that we're creating for ourselves and our children and our grandchildren and, and theirs and theirs and theirs. It's a very, very different world. And it, it does exist in the future and we are headed there and we will survive to to build that us personally we may not live long enough each and every one of us to see all of that come to fruition but our children our grandchildren their children and grandchildren they will and of course we'll probably come back to see it and feel it Apparently you did. I did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, Kay. You're very, very welcome. It is always an honor. It is a privilege and it is an honor to be able to share all these things and all the ancient knowledge with everybody it's an incredible honor so thank you everybody thank you okay if you want to join us on our adventure journey towards <laughs> that world get in touch with us helmut at katarse.com uh, you can get a hold of me laura where can they find you uh, info at Laura, L-O-R-A, Keddy, K-E-D-D-I-E dot com. All right. Any thoughts, Laura? No, oh, I'm just, I'm afraid I'm going <laughs> to, I'm having deep emotions. <laughs> I'm right where I belong. I, um, I remember someone when I was talking about, experiencing things you know being you know this understanding of neutrality for good or bad you know and how it comes and not being overwhelmed by it and i had a friend said you know i don't want to turn into spock and i realized i was explaining it wrong <laughs> because this is it's um it's the furthest thing from spock you know, I, I don't know how to explain. It, it, it was like I'm getting better at explaining this, you know, going from being highly empathic and being affected by everything and allowing little things to trigger anger, you know. And so I would have would have considered myself emotional. But those, you know, it's the little triggers that don't, you know, through the practice, it's the, you know, you're not affected that way but there's this deeper opening that just started cracking that i kept i remember going through the process that, you know in the beginning states i kept trying to shut it down that cracking 
because it was like my heart literally was being shredded I, for, you know, in some kind of physical thing. And finally, when I, you know, I don't know if it's like pregnancy, never been pregnant. Yeah, but it was like that breathing through it. And that, I, I don't know how to explain it, it, but it was almost like that one, that one time I allowed myself to feel truly deep, you know, through this process and breathe through it, not being swept away, you know, by the little triggers you know, where it would overwhelm me. And I think that was what my fear was by allowing it to happen, but actually just breathing through it and feeling it deeply. Um, it's almost like you don't want to go back once you've cracked that opening. I mean, that, that feeling of like, I cry at almost everything, <laughs> but I laugh, the joy of it, the experiencing of it, it doesn't sweep me away. You know, and I think that's the grace of it. It's not, um, you're not becoming Spock, you know. It, I don't know, what was the empath on it? There's some merging of those two characters, and I don't know if it was the, all the Trekkies where I'm butchering Star Trek, but um, that connecting with that very, very deep emotion of, you know, and knowing that's my gift as being a human. And there are so many gifts to it. There's this deeper understanding, but that's why I love, you know, anybody going, I think every human needs to go through the call of your song, right? You know, it was like every human needs a Red Bull and every human needs to go through the call of your song. But that process of, you know, really sticking to it, even the level one apprenticeship, the more further you go, it gets even juicier in the practice. But that beginning level of knowing who you are, what you are and the skills and, you know, the things that come with it that, I'm um, sorry, something's bouncing around my office, um, that um, going through those steps to just connecting who you were. I mean, I, I come back again and again and saying the greatest gift I was giving, given is just falling in love with myself because there's so much more in here to this human, you know, that I ever knew was possible. And it's just so entertaining being me. <laughs> I mean, and that's what Katasa gives you. I mean, the, the, it, it's just the practice. So, you know, okay, thank you. I still, I don't think I have a, I know I have questions because my mind's a little blown, but there's no way to wrap my mind around which question to ask. <laughs> it's not in form. So I'll let everybody else ask questions. <laughs> thank you, Kay. Hey, Helmet, I think you need to drive around town a lot more. <laughs> Good plan. Yeah, those are juicy. <laughs> okay, we're going to take questions um, from the audience. There's a Q&A tab. You can put your question in there. We have a couple. Uh, the first one is from Meredith. Meredith, uh, how do we reconcile not restricting feelings it could be negative when we aim to give our attention to positive thoughts. Okay. Okay. Ask me to do to read the question one more time. 
because she's getting confusing feedback. Uh, how do we reconcile not restricting feelings that could be negative when we aim to give our attention to positive thoughts? Well, as a human being, uh, your consciousness... You're muted. Oh, I'm still muted. All right, here we go. As a human being, we have consciousness. We are consciousness. We are awareness. And we have the ability to choose to focus our awareness wherever we want. We have the ability to choose uh, to focus our experience wherever we want. When we're asleep, we give up that choice. We don't even think we have a choice. We just let our mind flip and flop and aim whatever direction the, is happening or the psychic winds take us. Or, but as a real human, the more awake you are, the more choice you have. And the choice is where to aim your attention what to choose to feel. We literally can choose whether to feel something or not. We can choose not to feel the anger that got ignited, got triggered from some kind of automatic response, part of our sleep behavior, having automatic trigger responses. Or maybe this, this feeling of anger has all kinds of other nasty negative things with it as well that are part of our habit, our habit way of thinking, feeling. We can choose not to feel it. We can choose not to have any of that energy in our field whatsoever. Not to go to that angry place. We can... We can leave it. We can set it, set it all aside. Let it float away. And we can choose to turn our attention to wherever we want. We can choose to turn our attention to our song. That's what the Katasi training, uh, that's what they teach in the, that Peruvian tribe. My teachers, Domano and Chia, would say, turn your attention to your own song. Feel your own song. Feel what it feels like. Feel the emotions of your own song, which are love and compassion and caring and patience. Uh, pretty much all the good, the nice feelings and you can choose to feel that in the moment when we do that it puts us right in our center when we feel our song we're coming from that place and we know that that's who we actually are that's what we actually are we aren't that anger we aren't the other negative emotions we're our song we choose to feel that to identify with 
the feeling of our song. And we choose to speak from there. It's not denying emotions. It's not cramming, forcing ourselves not to feel emotions that are still there. It's sending away negative emotions. It's choosing not to experience them, not to feel them, not to engage them, not to feed them, not to make them larger by feeding them with our attention, but to go to a place that that is our center, our heart, our song, which is connected to the earth, to everything else, and observe and feel the experience that's actually happening. Feeling a a basic quality of song, basic quality of our, our spirit. And that is one of peace and kindness and love, caring, compassion, We can choose to feel love for, um, say it was a person that said or did something that triggered you and made you angry, had that automatic reaction to see them in a different way, a different perspective, a different light, with with love and compassion. We don't have to react on automatic pilot. That's a training. That's trained behavior. We learned it from the time we were really, really little. We learned it from our family. We learned it from people around us. We learned it from teachers. We learned it from TV, movies. It's learned behavior. And it became a habit in our lives. We became addicted to it. It's not just a habit. We were truly addicted to it. To having these automatic responses. To let this, to let our, our masks, our programming, just take over. And have that automatic response. And have all that automatic language come blaring out of our mouth. We don't even have to really think about it. It's all pre-programmed. We don't have to do that. and We can learn how to stop just by choosing. I hope that helps. Okay, um, there's a couple of more. Um, you want to read one couple, Laura? Sure, let's see. Evelyn, thank you so much, Kay, for this wonderful sharing in um, commune. Thank you for coming. Um, And she also asks, um, so 
we eventually can incarnate into the future or back in the past? Question mark. Not used to this mute thing. Um, yes. <laughs> yep, we have that ability. We choose every single lifetime. We choose where and when we want to go. And it might even be a place that isn't even this planet. It might be a, a whole, another whole sentient species somewhere else. Some alien species or something else entirely. There's so many things to experience out there. And I don't want to give anything away or front load anybody, but, you know, lots of life out there. And we can experience just about any of it. So it's one of those things to contemplate and think. You've already done all these things. And you're going to keep doing them. So, yeah, you could come back in your next lifetime, if looking at it uh, in kind of a human perspective. You could actually be born in some past era on our planet. Any culture you want. Born in here, in this era, again. You could be born in the future. We choose because we have certain things we want to learn and experience. And wherever it is we're choosing is a really good place to be able to experience those things. Sometimes it's curiosity. Maybe we're just really curious about ancient Egypt. And we want to see what was really there and what it was really like. So we go get born there. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip one here, but we're gonna come back to that one. But um, somebody I don't have a name um, says that what you just shared in your answer to Meredith question question. Uh, conflicts a little with what you were saying about your teacher being in war and aliveness being found at the bottom of anger and violence and that that was a gift so what do we do when deep anger needs to be expressed it can be so powerful and explosive and scary it isn't um, actually a conflict it seems like it at first, but once you know a little bit more about song, know more about your own song, and able to turn your attention to feel it, experience it, it begins to make a little bit more sense, a little bit more sense, that at the bottom of that well of emotion, no matter what emotion you're feeling, is the doorway. It's our, our spiritual self is there and then it's our it is one of our our ways of being able to dive in and feel the spiritual aspects of ourselves with our spiritual gifts as well as the emotions 
it, it's a way to experience our own song, our own beingness, our own aliveness. And the eternal quality of that aliveness and how mortal our physical body is. It doesn't matter what emotion it is. It's still at the bottom of that metaphorical well of emotion is the doorway. It is our spiritual selves. It's a a doorway to dive in and feel your own beingness, your own spiritual self that has been alive for all eternity. And you realize that when you feel it. It's one way, one of the ways to experience it. Having that great, uh, that deep of an experience of any emotion. I know it's, a lot of these things are just not easy to understand with our mind. They often sound very contradictory, conflicting. But we're talking about nonlinear things as well as linear 3D time space things and linear mind things. And all of them working together. When we're awake, we have all of those aspects of ourselves are awake and working together. We don't have words in our language. Uh, any of our modern languages are just, they're not designed to speak of spiritual and nonlinear things. They're not very well designed to speak of emotional things because those have all been taboo. But as we go, we're going to figure out better ways to verbally express these spiritual things, these deep, deep emotional things, things of the nonlinear. We'll have to make language for them. Right now, the best we can do is to weave elements of our language together to try to describe it and using metaphors, using pictures. So I hope that helps. Okay, you want to go, Laura? Sure. Um, We have Angela. A couple of questions from Angela. Her first one is, I'm having an opportunity I'm having an opportunity to deal with reptilian energy. How do I get it out of my environment? What are the spiritual blessings they are bringing me besides feeling extremely extreme anger? Okay, a clarification of language here. We have to clarify some language here. Okay. Uh, 
are you talking about 3D time-space human earth-life reptilians like a rattlesnake, an alligator, or are you talking about the reptilian alien species? Angela? I, let's see if she's still online. I think she's online. Do you want to, Angela, do you want to clarify? Reptilian alien species. Okay, I thought so. But just, just to make sure. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, when, when we're encountering different uh, offers, we can um, we can choose we can pick and choose who we wish to engage with, and we can set down some ground rules ar around us in our field in, a, in our space that we're only willing to interact with individuals who are willing to be loving. Be caring, treat us as an equal, to not just want to take from us, but have something to share that is uh, valuable to us in our lives, that is not harmful, that we, we choose to not invite harm into our space. And we choose not to invite anything that wants to overpower us into our space. And these things can include thought forms as well. You can put these, these energies up, these thought forms up in your space and, and around you, in your aura, that you, you do not wish to engage with anything, whether it's a sentient being or a thought form. Uh, another human or an offlander, offworlder, uh, state the, what you really want and what you don't want very clearly, concisely, and put it out there. Anyone who, or a thought form, who insists on um, being negative, disruptive, harmful in any way, or any of the things that you don't want, they are not allowed in your space. And you can ask your spirit helpers as well to uninvite them from your space. This is not their land. This, uh, this is not their world. You're not their property. And they need to go away. I hope Thanksgiving's that. a really good time for that. <laughs> she, Angela does, I'm sorry, did I interrupt you? Angela does have one more question. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, go ahead. This is a bigger subject. I don't know if we can get into all of those. Oh, we'll see. Uh, how do I let go of a poverty vow? How do I let go of Poverty, vow. Vow, a vow. Yeah. Okay. 
Victor, Victor too. Victor, Victor too. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, you have to come to terms with it in yourself. That's um, realizing when you made this vow, how and why you made this vow. Whatever all of that was, those circumstances, realize that was then, this is now. Your understanding is different now. Your perspective of life is different now. Your needs are different now. Your goals for what you want to achieve in your life are different now. And a vow like that is no longer valid. And you have to give yourself permission to let it go. And you can ask your spirit helpers for help. You have to believe that you can, it's okay to let it go. That you're not sinning. You're not breaking a sacred uh, commitment. Sometimes in our spiritual journey, we need other resources. We need more resources to accomplish the goal, our spiritual goal. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing unholy about it or evil about it or less than about it. Making a vow of poverty comes from a belief system that is hierarchical hierarchical and that's it's putting being poor up on the hierarchy ladder better than it's much better than and being rich is down on the ladder ooh bad rich must have done bad things to get the riches that's the old way of thinking. In the new way of thinking, it doesn't fit. There isn't a hierarchy. There is no better than or less than. And there is no actual reason for any kind of a vow of poverty or wealth or anything in between. It's a way now of living with with what you need. What do you need to accomplish those spiritual goals? What's relevant? If you want to have more resources in order to help others, in order to be able to teach others, to create something to teach others with, help others with you need you need those resources that's that's your um, that's your your goal as a spiritual aim in your life if 
you're trapped by a hierarchical vow of poverty. You're not going to be able to do anything with your new spiritual goal of, of helping others in the way that, that you've been thinking or that you want. There, in the new way of thinking, money is not bad. Having money is not bad. Having money is not evil. Uh, money in itself is not an evil thing or a bad thing. It's a resource. And how you actually go apply, go about applying your resource. That's what's making the difference. That's where things are, are really count. So I hope that helps. That was a good question. Um, take more questions, Hillman? Sure. All right. Um, Evelyn, um, I think following up with one, her earlier questions, um, from my experience, if we allow ourselves to feel the painful emotions, this allows us to receive the information we need to learn. Then we can send compassion to ourselves and then let them go, release them and clear them from us and from the field. Um, I think it was a comment, not a question. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> um, yes. It's, it's said with different words, uh, but yes. Another question? You're going to keep going, Laura? Oh, I can. Oh. Sure. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Dana, extremely interesting. Thank you so much for comments. Um, Jennifer Strait. Our, ooh, this could be fun. Our species that are going extinct right now on Earth being saved and taken somewhere else so they can continue. Of course. <laughs> That's where they came from in the first place, most of them. They were uh, borrowed from some other world and very often from a place where they were in trouble. So when our dinosaurs were in trouble, they were taken off to worlds where they could survive, but they were also initially brought from other worlds where they had been living. So. Oh, Jennifer, I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, <laughs> that's so good. Um, Evelyn, um, do you feel um, it's with this? Uh, do you feel it's with the same family of souls? I. Evelyn, we might need a little more clarity on that one. Um, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, I don't know where that fits in either. So. Uh, oh, she says, um, 
about reincarnating. Oh, are Evelyn, are you asking, are, do you reincarnate with the same spirits? Yes. So are you coming back to the same peeps? Sometimes. Sometimes, but not necessarily all the time. Not everybody. Everybody has a different, uh, a different thing that they're doing. Some have entities they like to hang out with and go incarnate with uh, frequently. Helmut and I have some lives that we remember that we had together. Sometimes I, I run into people that uh, I feel very familiar. I know I've never met them in this lifetime physically, but I feel very familiar. Sometimes the memory will hit me. Uh, and I'll remember where, where and when. And then there's, there's others I know that we've been together doing certain things at certain time periods together in a big group, a whole group. And it depends. And I know I've been off, you know, toddling off on my own, in my own direction, going off and doing the wild thing out there in the universe. <laughs> okay. Um, we are past two hours, so maybe we pick one more question and um, then we leave it for that, uh, at that for today. Laura, what do you think? Sure, I was trying to read down the questions, maybe bees, because we haven't yeah, yeah, heard that's, from her yet. I thought the same thing, yeah. Um, B says, thank you. I finally understand my experience of the uh, ecstatic light that I found underneath grief. Question, the builders that started this garden, are they in 3D time space? Are they blended into our human species DNA as well? That's one. Before you <laughs> answer that, Kate, okay. Okay. Uh, thank you all so much for, for your questions and comments. And we really appreciate you being here and participating and making this all really great fun. And we'll do a lot more of these. So there's going to be many more opportunities for questions. You can also go to our Facebook, Facebook group. Um, Katase Healing Talks um, on Facebook. You'll find us there and you can join us. That's, that's our public group. All right. Do you need the cash question again, Kay? Let's do the read it again. Okay. Let's see. The question is the builders that started this garden, are they in 3D? Laura, start oh, again. Start again. Okay. <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> we got this. Uh, question. The builders that started this garden, are they in 3D time space? 
are they blended into our human species DNA as well? They were um, called by my teachers the progenitors, as well as sometimes being referred to as the builders. Um, the spirits called them, different spirits have called them builders and, and others progenitors. And yeah, they're 3D time space. I'm assuming their race is still alive. The, there's one main group. They created uh, quite a number of different races through our galaxy. And some of them um, they traveled with through the years, creating, you know, terraforming and creating other races. Um, and there was some of this, these groups um, that they created, that they traveled with, and were part of the terraforming group. So it's not a single species. It's a number of them. And yes, we do have um, some of their DNA. Okay, let's touch on this last one here real quick. You want to read it, Laura? You want me to? You go ahead. Okay, how can we protect ourselves from negative alien energy? By being positive, by waking up, the more asleep you are, the more enculturated you are and living in that culture asleep on automatic pilot, then uh, the more likely some other species out there or the thought forms even more likely. The negative thought forms that we've created here on the planet uh, can influence you. So when you wake up, you are, you're not going to be influenced. Uh, when you're awake, you can, you can perceive uh, who and what they are. The, my teachers um, used to say that the, our concept of uh, aliens, or just like our concept of humans, it either has, they have to be good people or they're bad people. They're evil, they're mean, they're, they're dangerous. Evil being the big, the big word, that big concept energy that's you know, labeled, attached onto things. And when you're awake, it just doesn't fit anymore like that. You don't see things quite like that anymore. There are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of different species out there in space. Just countless. Uh, some of them are able to have space travel and some are not. And they're of all different kinds of, of levels of uh, their, their own evolution. I don't like that word very much, but... Uh, that's all we got. And some of them um, 
technologically are extremely advanced. They have their own way of being and their own way of thinking and perceiving. And that they're all different from each other. They have their own agendas of, of why they're out there in space, why they're looking around, why they go do things on other planets, why they create colonies on other planets. Some of them are totally non-warring. They're, they're very peaceful, loving, caring, want to help. Um, some are interested in trade, they aren't hostile, but they're, they're caring, loving, uh, but interested in trade. Some are very interested and involved in their own agenda of something that they want, like the invaders that came here a long time ago. They were very selfish, self-serving, um, not compassionate or empathizing with others at all. And they just wanted what they wanted and they wanted it now. There are some that are like that out there. Some of them are willing to be hostile. Some of them are willing to go to war. But um, to refer to uh, any of them is is just downright out and out evil. My teachers never did, so I'm not entirely sure what that means. But uh, I do know from their teaching and from my own experience, by being awake, the more awake, the better. Knowing your song, knowing who you really are, knowing what you really are, and what that means, that you are your song. Your song is as ancient as the universe, that you are a sovereign entity, and you have your own ideas, your own life, your own goals, your own agendas, and you're not interested in interacting with somebody who wishes to change that by force. So, as I had mentioned before, putting out in your own field, you can have your spirit helpers help you, putting out in your space, your, your home, the land you live on, that's, you are not agreeing to interact with people who who want power over, who want to somehow have power over you or engage in things with you or your space, your land that you do not wish, you don't agree with. You will keep them away. Another thought is that there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there on the internet that has been for a long time. 
in the UFO community and books and magazines and conferences and big internet presence. They, there's some of those folks, not all of them, but some of them uh, are really into magnifying uh, the fear aspect of what aliens might be or what they might do or what their agendas are. And yes, certainly some of them have been picking up humans. Um, usually they try to remove all their memories so that they don't have, um, you know, they put them to sleep right away and they remove any memories so that they, they're not afraid and they, they don't carry the bad memories with them but they are examining us for the different ones have different reasons for it, but mostly uh, they're in the neighborhood of examining the soil, the plants, different animals and humans for our DNA and what we've done to our DNA recently, especially for how much poison we're carrying with us, what kind of poison the, uh, what kind of damage the poison creates in our body, especially to the DNA. Most of these aliens are highly interested in DNA in general, genetics, the whole genetic material. They're highly interested. Some of them, that is their big, their main, main focus and interest in interacting with us or anything on our planet. They're interested in, in the DNA. And there's actually commerce and trade out there in DNA. So you might want to examine your own beliefs and thoughts about what the actual agendas are with some of these people some of the races care about us a great deal, and especially the ones who have been in the builder group and who have been participating in watching us, helping us, uh, helping the garden along. They've, they've been monitoring um, us, our poison levels, our damage levels, damage to the the planet for quite a while, especially in the last hundred years, then 50 years. I mean, just more and more because we keep creating more and more. So they're, they're more interested and they're about continuing their garden. That's their agenda. They want continuance. They want our species to have continuance. They want to see where we're going to go, what's going to happen to us. We've been um, so magnificent to watch and learn from as we've grown through the millennia that um, they don't want to intervene, but they will uh, to help us if they have to. And they're they're sniffing around and poking around. Uh, they try to be as gentle and covert as they can, but, uh, you know, 
We know they're there and what they're doing. But I don't think we need to be afraid of any of it. Some people, some of those folks are just, they're just going to collect DNA and they're going to go about their um, trade business in, in the galaxy. And others are collecting it for some seriously good reasons. They're, they're studying what we've done to the planet. And we're not the only factor on the planet that is changing things radically. We're in a, a space in time in, in our galaxy where we have a lot of influences that are not normal for our planet or haven't been around our planet for maybe billions of years. So we've got all kinds of changes happening to our atmosphere, to temperatures, to DNA, to uh, everything. Our magnetic fields of the planet, our bodies, they're monitoring it. It's important to them. So stop and think about what are your beliefs? What kind of blind beliefs have you taken on about these aliens? And are you really afraid of them? Are you um, generating anger inside yourself at the uh, thoughts of what they might be doing, the beliefs that you have of things that they might be doing to us and why they might be doing them? The truth is we don't really know most of what, what these things are. We don't, we don't have enough knowledge. So question it. Revise. Do more song things. The more you know about yourself and your song, the more you'll understand about everything else in the universe. And you can feel it. You can feel into the field, the connectedness to other things. You can connect to that species. You can learn from them directly, energetically, through the nonlinear, through the spirit level of things. And you'll know for yourself. Okay. Thank you, Kay. Thank you again. You're welcome. Beautiful, beautiful session. Thank you, Laura. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And if you want to find, find out more and join us on our journey into that future, where can they find you, Laura? Um, you can find me at info at lauraketty.com. All right. And you can get in touch with me uh, at Helmut, H-E-L-M-U-T at katasi.com. And that's it for today. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Thank you. And thank you, Helmut. And thank you, everybody. Okay. Enjoy. Love you. Love you, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you all. Have a beautiful day.